Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. I didn't think when I was preaching in June that I'd be back up here but um, for a time, but God does unusual things. And uh, I was just praying this morning. Well, I looked at uh, um, a little prayer book that I had uh, about 200 years ago. This prayer was given by uh, an elderly man, and a pastor. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Lord, take my mind and think through it. Lord, take my heart and set it on fire. That is my desire this morning, that I can share with you not um, a long sermon, but something that's from my heart. And I want to, in the short time that's available for me um, in preparation, I just want to share what God's been saying to me, and I want to share that with you this morning. I just want to read, first of all, the passage of Scripture. Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of the sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Set my heart on fire. We live in a world um, that's looking for answers. I, I happen to go online and I put in um, about life and what difference it makes and everything else. And I came upon a chat, a kind of chat room, and these were people, a good number of them, young people, and they were saying things like this. My existence seems so pointless. My life has consisted of many great moments, but I can't remember a time that I've really been happy for any period of time. Maybe I crave drama, says that one. Maybe the intense emotions, whether they be sadness, anger, anger or fear, maybe they make me happy. I once had to tell some, I had one somebody tell me this, that I'll never be happy no matter what I have. I'm beginning to believe that. And another one says, no matter what I do, who I do it with, and so on, I'm not happy. If I could escape from reality, I think I would. I don't have many friends not many family, and I'm bored in my relationship with my boyfriend. It's like my life has no point. I don't want to die, but I also feel pointless to be alive. I feel very alone most of the time. I want to change this, but I'm not sure how. Any advice out there? And then somebody else wrote, we're not special. What happens just happens. And somebody else says, is life worth living? I've asked myself this question a lot and never seem to be able to decide on an answer. I'm not, I'm not suicidal, says this writer, but I just question whether it's worth it or not. Sometimes, most of the time, I do believe it's worth it. I can't really say why. And then this statement, short, I've been dead. I've felt dead for years. That is the people in our generation. That is the people who are communicating, and there was thousands of those comments, and I just picked a few. See, people of all ages, you, me, 
without Christ are looking for meaning. Those of us who have found Christ have found meaning, have found reality, have found that which makes a difference. Not a system, not a creed, but a person, the person of Jesus Christ. Some of you might know that I'm taking a Sunday school class in second hour on Nehemiah, and I did a summary so that um, my friend Bill Watson would read it for me. I see Bill's here. Thank you, Bill, for doing that at both hours. And I wrote this. Personally, I'm dissatisfied, even frustrated with the status quo. I need more than religion. I need more than ritual. I need more even than church activities. I need more than the sermon. God knows I need to be a disciple of Jesus. And the older I get, the more I realize how often I fail to be the person God wants me to be. If I claim to be a follower of Jesus, I need to be more like Jesus. If I claim to be a follower of Jesus, I need to be more like Jesus. And God knows that you and I have failed Him. But we need to begin, just like Nehemiah did, hear God speaking, respond to His call, and get into the business of restoring walls, rebuilding walls in our lives, in our generation. We need to begin the journey that will result in rebuilding and restoring walls. In the first session, um, I shared this illustration. You know, a good wife comes up to you afterwards and says, now you just got it wrong a little. Not much, but she wrote it all out, so I'm going to read her portion of it. <laughs> well done, darling, whatever. I think she's down to the other session. She was in this, this worship service earlier, and then she went to Sunday school class, uh, the summary, and I think she's gone along to the other one. But she said here, when I was um, asked to uh, do the opening prayer at the, uh, the Kansas House of Representatives, one of the pastor there and one of the representatives was a member of the congregation, and I was asked to open the session in prayer and also for a Bible study for the representatives and the Senate members in the early part of the day. But um, this is the part. They had approaching the, the, the Senate building... Um, beautiful pillars with beautiful murals on them. And she writes here that um, in the economic modernization drive some time ago, cream paint was applied covering the wall, covering the pillars, covering the murals, and people forgot what was behind there. And only when the paint was removed, it revealed the beauty that people had forgotten was there. And when I preached here in June, I ended the message with these, these words, let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. All his wonderful passion and purity. O thou spirit divine, all my nature refined. Till what? The beauty, the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. Now you'll notice my accent's a little bit more refined and that's because I've been to Scotland and I was preaching over there but, and seeing my dad, who's 94, and I've had a time. So my, my, if I go too fast for you, or if you don't understand what I'm saying, just forgive me for the time. It's just I'm getting used again to the American. I'll never use, lose my accent. They say the Scots don't give away much, but definitely not going to give away the accent. I believe personally that the best is yet to be for the believer. 
I believe the living God continues to call and to change lives. I just need to make him known where I am. I don't know where you are, where you're serving, where you're working, where you live, but you and I just need to make Christ known where we are. There was in our congregation uh, um, a lady who came in, and uh, she came in the morning worship, the first morning, morning worship, and then she, and this was in, this was in Bournemouth, England, and an old lady, and it was mainly younger people, but an old lady put her arm around and said, so pleased to see you here. She was in leathers and chains and everything else and hair that was, um, now just in case anybody, if you've got hair like that, but anyway, I don't see anybody, but it was all over the place. But she had been welcomed by an older person. And so she came back in the evening. And that, again, that was a lot of young people there. And I didn't see her but as I was leaving, she said, you know, I didn't understand one thing you said, and I was speaking in creation. That really encouraged the preacher. But I got a hold of this. God has a purpose for my life. And she shared the story, something like the, the young people on the top that I shared with at the beginning. She shared how that she was on the verge of committing suicide. She was high in drugs. She'd been a rock, she is a rock, was a rock singer with a rock band, wrote songs for Nashville, very popular. And she said, I wanted to end it all. And she said, just at the moment I was going to take the final dose, I heard a voice say, remember your Sunday school teacher, and what she said. She said, out of the blue, I heard these words. My Sunday school teacher saying to me, if you're ever in a tight spot, Remember, there's a God who cares for you. Call on him, and he'll answer you. And she said, I just, in that spot, I just said, if there is a God there, would you help me? And she said, I feel this peace. A blanket of peace went all over me. And I found myself outside the door to your church, and I came in. I was welcomed. Came back in the evening, heard God as a purpose for my life, and I would like to know Jesus for myself. I had the joy of leading her to the Lord. In darkness, transferred to the kingdom of light because of Jesus. In fact, I would go further, and because an elderly woman said good morning to her and put her arm around her and said, you're welcome here. Might be something we could do, those of, those of us who are old. I never say those of us who are old. You notice I never say that. I just say those of us who are older can maybe show some respect, some love, some attitude that would encourage the young people who come out, come in, not knowing Jesus. A.W. Tozer said this, the world is waiting to hear an authentic voice, a voice from God, not an echo of what others are doing and saying, but an authentic voice. This man who wrote this book, the book of Romans, to the church at Rome, he wrote this letter approximately A.D. 57, 58, around that. It was on his third missionary journey he was a man mightily used by God, but it didn't, he wasn't always like that. 
He had the Damascus Road experience. Once he was traveling down this road and he was going to haul people into, Christian, into prison, especially these Christians, and he was going to haul them into prison, give them what they deserve. And Jesus confronted him and knew his name and said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he came to know Jesus Christ as his personal Savior in such a way that he used these words in the beginning of this letter, I'm a bond slave of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It means he's bought and he's owned by someone else. Is that true of you this morning? Do you know that because of Jesus Christ, if you've given your life, he has purchased your life? But not only that, he, you are his possession because you've given your life to him. And because of the fact he asks us to live for him, he demonstrates the power of his bodily resurrection. And he says, Paul says, because he lives, you will live also. Here's the kind of man who's writing. Here's a man that God was using. And he leaves us with four little words, and I just want to leave these with you this morning. The first one is security. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you living in bondage? Are you living in sin? Are you living in legalism? Are you confronted with the past and, and, and what the past has, it grips you, the feelings of the past, the relationships of the past, the addictions of the past, they always keep coming back. The world is full of uncertainty. People hungry for meaning, just like Leslie. And for many, life has gone nowhere. How's your life today? I want to tell for the Christian you are set free. Jesus says, if the truth shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. The chains are to be gone, are gone in Christ. Don't take them back on. Justified. We are justified. He uses that word a lot in the Romans. But what it basically means is, in the Christ on the cross, Jesus was made sin, and through faith in him, we are made righteous. My sin was charged to his account, and his credit, his righteousness is charged to my account. It's like putting this, he takes my debt and he says, I'm going to put it in your account. I'm going to take my credit, righteousness, put it into your account, take away all the debt completely, and I'm going to take your debt and I'm going to deal with it. That's justification, briefly put. When we repent of our sin, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. It fits us for heaven, no matter your sin, no matter your previous lifestyle, no matter your previous behavior. You are in Christ Jesus. Romans 5, 1, be justified by faith. We have what? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is talking here about the believer's position, his standing, his status in Christ. We are secure in Jesus Christ. No one can deny us that we belong to Jesus. For Jesus says, with regard to the, the fact that, that he had come and he was the shepherd of the sheep and he'd given his life for the sheep. And he says, I and my Father are one. No one can pluck you out of my hand. I'm caring for the sheep. Now, this, this Romans 8, and I'm not going to give you a, an exposition, but I'm basically just going to 
come home with these points, but this, this, this uh, is talking about um, a lot in sanctification, but that's not the main theme of the verse, the, the, the chapter. The main theme of this chapter is security. Now, sanctification is a big word. Sometimes we don't explain what it means. I explained it in the early service. In the Hebrew, it's two particular words. It's set-apartness and holiness. It's like in the temple, the vessels, the holy vessels, were set apart, but they were holy. And that's exactly the same when, when we are sanctified, we are set apart for a particular use, God's use. And when we come holy, we're expected to be holy. And that holiness is something that not only grips our lives because the Holy Spirit lives within us, but it grips other people's lives because, and I'll explain in a little while, the beauty of Jesus is seen in us. Because the Holy Spirit is bringing him to the fore. And can I just underline this? Jesus has taken the punishment removed the penalty, but also the power, the power of sin, and we are no longer in Satan's camp. Why do we give him territory? Why do we give him room? He longs to bind us. He longs to explore for territory that he can use and exploit it. Have you given him territory? Absolutely, freedom in Christ absolute security in responding to his call and follow him. I was pastoring in Spain um, in my three, uh, I finished last year, just about a year ago, and about uh, 2011, I think it was, there's um, a man sitting in the back seat, and i uh, never seen him before, and I found out from him later that he had been invited by one of our members and he said this to me, I'm the president of the golf club. Golf is my life. Golf is my religion. I live for golf. Church? Never been in a church. Not interested in church. Just go for special occasions. He says, but the reason Sue invited me here this morning is because I recently, he's about 60, I was diagnosed with having terminal cancer. Not much time to live. I came and I have been coming the last couple of Sundays, and I found Jesus. I came to realize Jesus Christ died for me, that even like the dying thief, Jesus said to me, today you will be with me in paradise. And I went to his house, and, and, and he had all the possessions. His wife wasn't interested at all, and she just got, you know, just left and left us to speak to him. And he said, yes, I'm ready for heaven. I'm ready to die. And a few weeks later, he, he died, but went to heaven. Before that, he was going to hell. He went to heaven. See, Jesus makes a difference, and he gives us security. And our prayer is his wife also comes. The second little spot, verses, spirit of life is, is in, in verse 2. Through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. So, the law of the spirit, the higher law, has broken its sway, the law of sin and death. But not only that, it's not only broken its sway, it's displaced it. Paul says, for you Christians, Dr. Alan Radbath says this, we need men and women so possessed by the Spirit of God that God can think his thoughts through our minds that he can plan his will 
through our actions. Paul wants to get to the point in the, in the message here to say that the Holy Spirit is not just a, a neutral thing. It's not just someone that's impersonal. The Holy Spirit is God Himself, and the Holy Spirit is given to us when we come to know Jesus Christ. But it's not just left there. The Holy Spirit has come for a purpose, and the Holy Spirit is the dynamic of the Christian's life. Every house, every room, we might say, no, my life, I just don't want that room. I don't want that room to be open. The Holy Spirit says, I want every room. I want to go anywhere I want to, and I want to put my mark, my impression on that room. Are you holding something back from God this morning? Is there something in your life, in your lifestyle, something that you've, you say, well, I have the Holy Spirit, but don't allow him in there. Don't come into that part. That's, that's, my, that's my secret. I don't want you in there. And God says, God the Spirit says, if you want to be filled with me, if you want to have a purposeful life, you must allow me into every room. Are you doing that? Am I doing that? And it's not about my ability when you preach, when you speak, when you work in your particular business, or you serve others, or boss others, control others. It's not about that. It's the Holy Spirit Allowing you, wherever you are, to show Jesus, to reveal Jesus. And in this chapter, up to now, the Holy Spirit hasn't been mentioned very much, but in this chapter, the Holy Spirit comes into prominence. He wants us to get the picture that the Holy Spirit has the right, the authority, to be in control of our lives. God has placed sin, although not, God has placed sin, although not presently eliminated. He's placed it under the sentence of death. Death, sin, are going to be dealt with. In fact, they have been dealt with at the cross, although we still see evidence of it being around. J.B. Phillips says this, anyone who opens his personality to the living spirit takes a risk of being considerably shaken. You know, if you allow the Holy Spirit into your life and you ask Him to fill Him, fill up your life, He's going to shake you up. He's going to, if, he's, if you and I are going to be of any use, and I could tell you stories about myself, about my life, and I've been a pastor for, um, in the UK, USA, and Spain, and, and, and I know God continues to shake me up and has shaken me up. And when I think that I, I, I some of you know that um, I, I retired early at 60 for, from the pastorate because I had trigeminal neuralgia and I had electric shock pain and I, I was in such heavy drugs that the, 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 um, the, the doctor advised me to take um, disability. And so for a few years, I was struggling with this. But see, God dealt with me and said, Jim, You've got a bit of pride in your life. And he was directed me to 2 Corinthians 12. And he directed me to his strength, God's strength, is made perfect in my weakness. I'd always been so healthy. But now God was saying to me, you know, you're not dependable enough. You're not, I'm sorry, you're not dependent on me enough. I want to use you more. When I reached 65, I thought, well, 
lets me kind of do some interim ministry and pastoral work and preaching and that. But then I get this email from Spain saying, your name has been given to us. And it was given from Minnesota to West Germany. And then somebody from, I didn't even know in West Germany, had sent my name to Spain and threw a cut a long story short. I ended up being pastor over there for a particular period of the time. 24 different nationalities in that, that church. I thought it was finished, but God says, no, I've got you where I, where, where you, where I want you to be now. You're dependent, you're dependent on me. I want to say that clearly this morning. God uses circumstances that he, he wouldn't want us to have, and he uses it in order that we become dependent on him. That we might see God as important in our lives. And I was kind of going in thinking, Jim McVicker has got it together. And God has said, boy, I'll show Jim McVicker he hasn't got it together. And I'm off drugs now. I still get the pain, but I, not so much as I used to have. And that's another story. But I learned lessons through the time that I experienced. When I thought I was finished, God says, I'm not finished with you yet. I'm still going to use you where I want you. That's true of you and me. The next thing I want to just say is in this third verse, it says, what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin in sinful man. Someone has written, sin is like quicksand. Your own efforts only make you sink deeper. Isn't that true? Only an outside hand can pull you out. See, being a believer in Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple in Jesus, of Jesus Christ, it's about what God has done and what God can do if you give your life to Him and allow Him to work through you. It's not your works or your ideas. It's His actions through you to bring glory to His name. And I believe because of the God incarnate, Jesus Christ in human flesh, He's done something unique and that we can be transformed God wants us to know Jesus fully through the power of the Holy Spirit, that we might be the person we ought to be. A little girl on the way home from church turned to her mom and said, Mommy, the preacher sermon this morning confused me. The mother said, Oh, why is that? The girl replied, Well, he said that God is bigger than we are. Is that true? Yes, it's true. He also said that God lives within us. Is that true? True. Again, the mother replied, yes, that's true. Where else is the girl? And little girls can sometimes ask questions that can floor us. She said this, if God is bigger than us, and if God lives in us, why wouldn't he show through in our lives? God is bigger and he lives within us. Why doesn't he show through? Why doesn't he show through in my life, in your life? People are hungry for an answer that your life can tell them about. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, and I come to my last point here, spirit of power, he says he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. 
The righteous requirements of the law have been fully met. Paul says, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of power. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, near the end of his life, and some say at the very pinnacle of his ministry, asked his congregation a question. I want to talk to you today about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You may call it what you want, but I want to know, have you experienced the fullness of the Spirit? I know all of you, he says, listening to me, come as I do from a Reformed background, but it's not good enough. I know that all of you would want to say my question about the Holy Spirit. Well, we got it in conversion. There's no need for any more experience. Well, said Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, around about 80, a little man, heard him preach. He says, I've only one question to ask you. If you got it all at conversion, where in God's name is it? There's about a thousand, more than a thousand, nearly two, I think it reflects nearly 2,000 people in this large auditorium. And you can just imagine there was silence. The message says with regard to the latter part of Romans 8, 4, that we have to embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. Are you hugging the Spirit in the sense of bringing, allowing Him to have control? Spirit of the living God, fall fresh in me. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh in me. Melt me, mold me, fill me, use me. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. May that be your prayer, my prayer. There was an old hymn that says, breathe, breathe on me, breath of God. That I may love what you love. And so it went on. One of my favorite um, men in the Bible is Moses. God started to really use him when he was 80. He had 40 years as prince of Egypt. He made a mistake, run ahead of God, really, killed somebody, was banished from the land, or got out before trouble happened. And he came and he married somebody and he began to work for his father-in-law, which isn't always easy. And for 40 years, he led silly sheep. You know, sheep are quite silly. And he led them for 40 years. And at age 80, he comes, there must have been something in his heart, and he comes back to Mount Oreb, to God's mountain, and he sees bushes burning all through the desert, in the wilderness. As that was, took place all the time. But he sees one bush, and it's burning but it's not being consumed. See, that's strange. That's spectacular. So he turns aside. And as soon as God saw him turn aside, Moses recognized God's in this bush. God's in these circumstances. God's happening here. God's here. God's doing something here. And he turned aside. And he noticed something else. Out from the bush, he heard this. Moses. Moses. Oh, God knows my name. And Moses began to learn in that meeting with God that God wanted him to know his name. Yes, I know your name, Moses, but you don't know my name. And he introduced him to the name Yahweh. Not only the God of my father, or the God of my fathers, not only the God of the patriarchs, but the God of Israel. 
My people are languishing in Egypt, and you at 80 are going to deliver them. What, me? Now just imagine some of you 80-year-olds here, God says to you, I want you, and you're going to do this, and you're going to do that, and it's going to cost you, and I'm going to do miracles through you. But it involves travel, it involves leading people, it involves going to a king that has no time to listen to me, it involves all those things, and I want you to go. After 40 years leading silly sheep, now you expect me to lead silly people? No, 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 I'm not doing that. And so he began to make a lot of excuses. But God says, I want you to go. Finally, he went. And then he realized that they were silly people and they made mistakes. And when he went through, God took him through the Red Sea and arrived on the other side. The people began to go back to their old ways, their old habits, their old attitudes. And they went back there and had this kind of lifestyle that they had before. And God says to them, Moses, come up here. I'm going to give you the law for them. I'm going to give you an understanding of what is in my heart. And he says this to Moses. I pray God says this to me. He says in Exodus 33, 17, I am pleased with you. And I know you by name. And then Moses responds. This is the, excuse my Scottish fervor. He says to Moses, says, Now show me your glory. Show me your glory. And God says, I will. We have seen his glory, says the Apostle John. The glory of the one and only begotten. Son of God. Peter says, we've been eyewitnesses of His majesty. We walked with Him. We've been in the Mount of Transfiguration with Him. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, Paul writing, and we who with unveiled faces, because remember, when Moses came down the mount, Moses' veil was, uh, face was veiled because he had Showing it wasn't good for the people. The people just couldn't live in the, in the, in the presence of God as he faced the glory came through the face of God. So he veiled himself. But here it says here, we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Is the glory of the Lord being reflected in my life? Is it? Is the glory of the Lord being reflected in my family? Is it? Is the glory of the Lord being reflected in my occupation? Is it? Is the glory of the Lord being reflected in my church? Is it? See this? I want to get clear here. God is not talking about your religion or your rituals or your church attendance or what you wear in church. He's not talking about all that. He's talking about are you revealing Jesus to others? Is Jesus been seen in your life? As people come and visit with you, is Jesus been seen in your life? You know, I'm a humorous person. I love fun. I love everything else. I've been, I've been very restrained this morning. And the reason for that is, when you're talking about the glory of God, I can't make fun. I just want to say clearly God can do something wonderful with your life. At eight years old, 
61 years ago, I accepted Jesus Christ in the city of Glasgow at a seaman's Bethel. My grandpa's choir was singing. At 13, I was baptized, immersed, and I went to a Bible college when I was 19. I went to a seminary, Spurgeon's, after having a career. I went to a seminary in Minnesota. But it's not about this. It's about this. I want to make that clear. I hadn't, I left school at 4 to 15. And I don't say this within Boston. Now I have a degree that my doctor, so and so. I'm not a doctor when I'm with my wife. My wife kind of puts me in my place. And I need that. But see, what I'm, I'm, not, I'm not boasting in that fact. What I'm trying to say is, I left school, and I felt so inadequate, and I've struggled with that all my life. Inadequacy and weakness. I'm not up to it. And the more dependent I've got in God, the more God has worked through me. I want to say that. I, want to, I, could, I could plead with you this morning. God wants to take you, whether you've got an education or not, whatever you are, whoever you are, whatever you are, God wants to say, God, God says, I know your name. I know where you're situated. I know your circumstance. I know you. I know you. I know you. And I love you. I care for you. And I want to release you and release the gifts of the Spirit in your life that you might be who God wants you to be. That is purpose. That is meaning. And I'm frustrated. Yes, I'm frustrated. Not with God. I'm frustrated that I can't always be the person God wants me to be. But I'm getting there. want to be there. And it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Him. I believe in revival. I believe God needs to bring revival in this country. And in my country... But I go back to Britain and I see there is revival taking place in pockets. God is working. He can do it here. I, find, I finish with this story. You've got to watch preachers, you know. Paul got into the basis of chapter 2. He was saying in conclusion, finally, and everything else. But I'm going to leave you with a story. A burly man big man, strong man, knocked at my door. And he said to me, you were baptizing my sister or conducting this service for my, my sister and others, and you were preaching. On the text, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. He says, I'm an oil executive, and I was leaving from Malta and then to the Middle East at two, two, two weeks to go, and, but that verse wouldn't leave me. And in Malta, I arrived and I didn't have a Bible, but I saw a Gideon Bible, and I went to it, and I opened it, and it opened it, these words, Jesus himself drew near and went with me. Went with him. He said, I couldn't wait. All the trip around the Middle East, I couldn't wait to get back to London and then make the journey from London to your home where you are, 100 miles, and tell you I need to know Jesus. And I, 
you know, I, I knelt, and he knelt beside me. Sorry about the camera there. You'd be, they'll think of the other, I vanished, but I'm not vanished, I'm still here. Um, not time to go home yet. Anyhow, this big burly man sat down next to me and he says, Jesus, would you come into my life? Would you come into my life? And by the Holy Spirit, he came into his life. And he back home and his wife wasn't a Christian and his wife came to know Christ and began to attend a Baptist church. Jesus himself drew near, went with them. I like that word in Luke 24. The, 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 pot, the pit, two in the way to the mace said, didn't we feel the fire as he conversed with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Didn't we feel the fire as he conversed with us and opened the scriptures? I pray that my heart, your hearts, be, all, be set in fire by the Lord the Holy Spirit. Let's just take a few moments. Father, we want to take these moments just to reflect, yes, but just to ask you to do business with our lives and open our understanding, set our hearts on fire, O oh God. Bring revival to our country. Bring glory to your name. Bring honor to your Son. And may the Spirit of God quicken our spirits. Just take these moments. Just, I'll just leave you about 10 seconds, 20 seconds, just to say to God, oh God, begin a new work in me. All for the glory of Jesus. Amen.